Hello and welcome to Bullet Points, a new podcast about uh, shooting games, first-person shooters, third-person shooters, shooters of all varieties and types. Uh, my name's Edward Smith. I'm joined by Reed McCarter. Hello. And Patrick Lindsay. Hello, hello. And this week for our first episode, we'll be talking about Bioshock, uh, the 2007 shooter by 2K Boston. Um, so we've all uh, played it uh, a few times, uh, presumably replayed it recently as well. Uh, I'm going to go first to Patrick. What were your general thoughts on Bioshock, having recently replayed it? Um, I never really liked Bioshock, and replaying it recently for this podcast, I have confirmed that initial impression. Um, I think Bioshock is a very important shooter for reasons which I'm sure we'll get into shortly. Um, that said, it's not particularly enjoyable to play for a variety of um, mechanical and other reasons. Okay, uh, Reed, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean that lines up pretty closely with, with Patrick. I think there are things that, I don't know, no doubt we're going to talk about them pretty quickly, but there are things that uh, are fantastic about that game. But God, you play that thing again, it's it's not, it's not a good time. Uh, well, I will probably be sort of devil's advocate um, because I. I like it. I like it quite a lot. <laughs> uh, so that, I suppose that gives us a, a decent cross section uh, of opinions. Um, I think the thing then to get into first, uh, speaking kind of uh, about like basics and about mechanics. Um, what do you both think about uh, shooting in Bioshock in the sense of how it feels to so just kind of move and use a gun and sort of interact with the world of Bioshock like what are your thoughts complaints etc about that Patrick um see my thought is that shooting shooting games in particular are very tactile like kind of by necessity um you when you make a shooter you really have to focus on how everything feels from how the guns feel to how it feels even just to walk around and like um, a game that frequently gets brought up as doing this really well is Gears of War, obviously. Um, it's because everything in that game feels super heavy and super just, like, meaty and massive. Um, Bioshock is exactly the opposite. When I was playing through it again, I was really surprised to notice just how much it felt like I was running on ice the whole time. Mm. There was no, like, stickiness to anything, and even the aiming and the shooting was very... It felt very loose and kind of floaty which I found really disorienting. Right. Yeah, I I agree with you for the most part on that. I think the the movement's not great. Some of the guns are actually pretty pretty good, though. You know? It feels like a, <laughs> such a weird thing to like start talking about Bioshock and be like, how do the guns feel? How do the guns feel, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, whatever. We're talking about shooters. Yeah. Gun feel. <laughs> Gun feel is right up there, I guess. But uh, the shotgun's pretty dope in that game, but but everything else kind of, yeah, has that weird, like, floatiness to it. And mm. I think it has to do, too, with the way the enemies, like, they move around, sort of, mm-hmm. they're, I don't know, they position themselves in strange ways. It's hard to describe properly, but they're always, you know, doing flips all over the place, and yeah, you can't really, you don't really feel like you're 
I don't know, everything feels very, like, kind of messy and chaotic, and and that's fine, but, you know, I don't know, it doesn't... I mean... What were you going to say? I was just going to say, it's probably, I mean, you could argue that that's probably intentional to some degree, although I think that's being a little overly charitable. I'm sure... Um, yeah, I'm uh, sure uh, it is to a, to a point. I, I think that um, it reminds me a lot of Half-Life <coughs> and Half-Life 2 uh, insofar as uh, you can talk from, you know, morning till night about the kind of loftier themes and ideas and what the games, like, represent. Um, but the actual sort of basic act of shooting, in especially in Half-Life 2 and in Bioshock, feels quite inconsequential. Mm-hmm. And fairly sort of either underdeveloped or sort of just not developed very well. Um, Bioshock, in terms of chaotic and messy, absolutely, um, and not in a good way. Um, I think there's like, especially kind of some war games like Call of Duty and Battlefield and stuff. They can often feel chaotic and sort of loud and sort of. Uh, scary in a way that I think is quite good and, and sort of appropriate, but Bioshock is just it just it's just kind of clumsy. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I think part of that too is that there's such an emphasis placed uh, on on managing ammo and you know all sorts of different items like your your plasmid superpower things and your health and yeah, everything. Yeah, actually, I did find myself running out of ammo very frequently. Mm. Yeah, especially toward the beginning. Yeah, and so they make you. I think they they put a big emphasis on that, but then the the sort of the the chaos of the the combat kind of leaves you. I don't know. It feels like you need to be kind of spraying all over the place and running around and not really thinking about things too clearly. And I I don't know. Maybe there there is some there's there is merit to that to a certain sense that you're you get into a fight and you just you know do whatever it takes to survive and then you come out the other end and you're kind of put in a bad place try to start over again Ooh. but I don't know, the game makes you do that so many times that it becomes just exhausting I think well, after they've got, the first so couple hours they've got like the guns obviously but then the whole plasmid thing slash vigors if you want to update it to current gen um, like <laughs> they, that's they the current gen of, terminology well, because that's what they were called in Bioshock Infinite. Oh, okay. Um, they, I don't know, I never really found them particularly useful, and there were certain instances where you could tell they were trying to force you to use them. Mm. Um, like that first boss fight with the doctor, where he keeps running down into that lower flooded area, and you can tell that you're supposed to sort of use your lightning You're supposed to Bioshock him. Yeah, exactly. You're supposed to Bioshock him. That's why mm. the game's named that. Yeah, it is in the, t- in the title of the game. I, I, I absolutely agree. I think that the plasmids are very contrived. And uh, if you go and look at some of the kind of pre-release <coughs> gameplay footage of Bioshock, there's all these kind of like snatch instances of somebody doing something very kind of technical and impressive with like several plasmids and a gun like catching a bomb and throwing it back into the fire and then like let, you know what I mean and being quite yeah. sort of balletic mm-hmm. but that, that never ever comes through when you play it you always just feel like jumbling and yeah absolutely that they they're edging you towards using the plasmids even though you don't really feel like you have to I think you can very very 
simply play that game with just the guns, and it's probably yeah. easier. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I did. I mean, I yeah. electrocuted, electrocuted some fools over time, but that's about it. Mm. Pretty I much just stayed you, on that one. You almost do it, I think, because you do it to kind of satisfy the game in a way. Like yeah, you feel yep. like you ought to do it, and like, oh, yeah. they've put all this stuff here, I should at least try it. Yeah, you feel um, bad. <laughs> you feel bad. For well, the yeah, you feel like you're wasting your time otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess uh, something we can come back to later on uh, is the plasmids and that kind of idea of <coughs> gene splicing and sort of making yourself genetically better and how it ties into the game's kind of, you know, literature and uh, those kind of themes. Yeah. Um, I, I think um, it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe we should come back to that later. But I do think that they're interesting to the narrative, but they're not very interesting to uh, to actually use. Which uh, I think is funny because I think that highlights like the primary tension that underscores the game overall. Yeah, mm-hmm. in my in my opinion. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's sort of where it falls down for me too. What do you two think of um, what was definitely at the time one of Bioshock's biggest kind of hits with? Uh, critics and whatever, which is this idea of, you know, uh, environmental storytelling and kind of putting it on the walls and sort of you find your own story. Um, I mean, obviously since 2007 it's it's become a lot more popular, I think. It's been used a hell of a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do you think about how Bioshock does that? Do you feel like um, the environmental narrative is a kind of an effective way? Do you reckon it has problems? How do you feel? Read. Uh... I think it, it's I'm kind of of two minds of it. I think the the environment doesn't at first when you first kind of step into Rapture and you look at everything that's happened. There's you know like the New Year's party hats and everything, and and you get the sense that you know everything's gone horribly wrong, and and you kind of get the idea of what this place was. It works really well at first, but you don't actually learn a ton from from the environment, I don't think. Mm. I think it's more those uh, audio logs that, uh. that yeah. I mean, because you, you go into a place and you do get a sense of, of you know, what life would have been like there for these, you know, virtual rapture people, but you don't Rapturians. actually... Rapturians. <laughs> yeah. The people of rapture. But I don't think you actually learn that much about, you know, it's not telling little stories with no. With the environment that much more so mm. that um, I don't know. Here's a place where there's people drank or went. Yeah, to I the mean, movies. there's a lot of there's a lot of window dressing, um, but I, there's anything substantive that actually tells you about this place and what it was comes through audio logs, which is a huge pet peeve of mine. Mm. Yeah. Well, I I think that they uh, and this applies, I think, to a lot of environmental storytellers if you like I think that they really fall down when they try to make it functional when they try and sort of turn it into no 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 <clears throat> this room is going to tell you this part this piece of story mm-hmm. um, I think it's much more interesting and sort of evocative and enjoyable when uh, you don't necessarily learn with like a capital L you just kind of imbibe it and it's just there and like you can extrapolate whatever you want it's when they start dropping in things like audio logs and graffiti and these like really sort of concrete and kind of tangible this is what happened 
that it may as well just be a character talking to you. It right. may as well just be a cutscene. The fact that it's on the wall doesn't sort of impress me or anything. Yeah, the stuff of the graffiti is... Uh, I forget, who was it who wrote... Was it uh, Lee Alexander, maybe, who wrote a thing about about uh, graffiti on walls? Like, someone... Everything's going to shit, and someone's you know stopping to pick up a, a bucket of blood and write, you know, don't <laughs> trust the... Yeah, whoever, a, but it the, sticks the, out like a sore thumb when you see it. it the worst really example does, yeah. is um, Alien Isolation is really terrible. I love Alien Isolation, but it, it's absolutely terrible. Yeah, for for the graffiti because it's just it's it like you say it's just so incongruous. And I mean, I'm not one to kind of pick plot holes and go. This doesn't make sense. Why would there be? Blah, blah, blah. But it is it is bad. It's just it's clumsy. It's just it, it's wrong. Um, but how do you feel uh, about Bioshock in regards to environmental storytelling, in regards to um, did it start something? Like, Does it represent the start of like a, a, a trend in game making that you are a fan of, or, or how do you feel about that, Reed? Oh, I'll go. Um, I think the thing with Bioshock is that it and, and what I appreciate about it, what I like about it as a whole is I think it it did show that you can make sort of a, a summer blockbuster type action game, you know, with sort of these immediately interesting kind of hooks, like plot hooks, but you could also try to say something as well at the same time, mm-hmm. um, which I know games were doing that before, but this was such a high-profile game that I think uh, it, it showed that you could get some sort of critical appreciation while you could also appeal to a large audience as well. Mm. Um, which you see people doing more now. You know, everyone kind of tries to I think a lot of big big blockbuster mainstream games try to have, you know, their twists and they try to for worse probably try to always comment on what the player is doing and try to make them feel a certain way about about what they're doing just playing a game. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's probably a, it's a good thing in terms of, you know, you want games to be saying something, even big, mm. meat-headed ones, but <clears throat> anyway, I'm rambling. No, I, I agree with you. Um, I think that it's very difficult to argue that Bioshock didn't start something like that, um, and I think that it's a good direction to head in. I just think that a lot of the ways that that typically gets handled end up being very clumsy and fabricated, like we're talking about with graffiti and audio logs. Mm. Um, and I think it's still... I mean, games are still kind of struggling to get to a point where they can comment on X, Y, or Z using the actual game itself and not just um, propping up some kind of soapbox on top of a quote-unquote normal game. Because Bioshock feels, in a lot of ways, like two different games, like trying to do two different things. Um, And I think that is uh, not necessarily to its benefit. Um, What do you think of the two different things that it's trying to do? Well, on the one hand, you've got the whole, like, Randian commentary, basically. Um, But then the whole rest of the game is it's just like shooty McShoot stuff mm. and it's not I don't think 
the game mechanically is interesting enough to keep me going to kind of latch on to all the stuff that it's trying to tell me about objectivism. Mm. See, I think that's... Um, I, I like the way that it... You know, I, I think those two parts go together pretty well. Like when you, you know, come out of this, this gunfight, which may not be fun the thousandth time, you come out of the gunfight and you have nothing left and you have no health and you know that circus of values clown thing is laughing at you and saying if you can't afford to buy more health kits and everything it's saying come back later when you get some money buddy and you know everything is kind of like sneering at you that if you're not rich and material then you're not going to make it through this place mm-hmm. I, I think it works well in, in that sense I, I I don't think it's very fun, but I think that stuff mm. sort of ties into the, you know, the commentary on objectivism and sort of hyper-capitalism. See, like, I don't know, and I obviously don't want this to turn into a discussion on objectivism for obvious reasons, but the whole notion of, like, the objectivist might makes right thing is kind of undermined in so many places by the game. Because you can, you can hack um, vending machines, for example, to reduce prices and increase the number of things that you can buy from them. But the actual benefit that you get from doing that is pretty negligible. Yeah. Um, and there's even a whole, like, I guess audio log, it must have been an audio log, that's from Andrew Ryan talking about how people are hacking machines and that's not good. And it's just sort of like... It's, it's gaminess, it's need to balance challenge and kind of disperse its progression of difficulty gets in the way of the philosophy that it's trying to pick apart, I think, in some significant ways. Um, I think that um, I think essentially uh, all games, or at least most games, are sort of implicitly capitalistic in the sense that your progression, your skill, your uh, ability to kind of win at the game is often dictated by what you have. So whether that be weapons, ammunition, experience points, armor, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. um, acquisition in games is kind of is kind of universally good for you. Yeah. And definitely. sort of yeah. and sort of absolutely the kind of you know your your sort of mobility, your agency in a game is always dependent on how much you own, how much you have of of of, 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 of X, right? Um, so I like that Bioshock kind of still rests on that system, as in you need ammunition, you need plasmids, you need guns to carry on, but there's also this kind of um, cocktail mixer of uh, sort of objectivist and capitalist. Um, disassembly um, and I also I, I, I see it more it's, it's definitely not applauding of the sort of philosophies as, as laid out by Ayn, uh, Ayn Rand it's definitely not wholly critical of them either uh, I think what it tries to capture is um, a sort of celebration of individual freedom uh, as opposed to a celebration or a sort of glorifying of material gain, it's more a game that is trying to get you to think for yourself. Mm-hmm. And to quite a large extent, although her books, especially at The Shrugged, are often compartmentalised as um, if, you are, if you are rich and if you are financially successful, you're a better person. Uh, having read At The Shrugged, I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily the sort of 
crystalline of Randian philosophy. I think it is more about personal freedom, personal individual expression, a kind of like libertarianism. Mm-hmm. Um, not dependent on wealth, not dependent on ownership, simply dependent on mindset and on um, personal approach to lifestyle. Um, I think Bioshock does, in a lot of ways, encourage you to sort of, you know, go off the beaten path, to hack the machines rather than just buy from them, to swap and pick and choose different approaches to things like combat and exploration. Mm. Um, sorry, but that, that that's a fairly long explanation. But No, that's actually really interesting, because I haven't really mm. thought of it that way before. Mm. See, yeah, I, I never, I never got the impression. I never really felt like it was encouraging you to sort of, quote unquote, buck the system like you would do in a strictly objectivist sense. It was never really I can, so I will. It was more so, um, almost kind of like the light version of that. Like you can hack vending machines if you want for an extra little boost. What? It's not really giving you a significant advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I don't know. What Ed was saying, though, too, also kind of applies to, I mean, we have to talk about this eventually, I'm sure, but the whole, you know, would you kindly thing where you find out that the protagonist has been actually, like, genetically engineered to respond to that phrase, and he's <laughs> been, without his knowledge, been uh, been following orders the entire time, and his I... re- redemption is, is getting outside of that, like, getting free of that. I think that perhaps the reason that your sense of freedom in Bioshock feels quite potted and sort of token, I, I guess it's twofold. One is because, you know, it's it's a game and it naturally has to have constraints, like they can't make it ultimately free. Uh, the second is because uh, I don't think it's a game which is wholly exploratory of or applauding of libertarianism and a sense of personal freedom. Um, you know, you mentioned the the kind of doctor character you fight earlier on, Steinman, and yeah. um, he's the kind of I I really like that enemy because he's a sort of physical embodiment of personal freedom. He's kind of changed his like body and his appearance and used plasmids and all this genetic material so much, and it's driven him insane. Like he he's become so obsessed with doing whatever he wants with himself that it's it's made him hostile and bad. You know, right. Um, so I think that the game, like very early on, because he's like one of the first bosses that you fight, the game very early, very early on is sort of saying, you know, unlimited freedom and libertarianism and just taking care of oneself is not good. There needs to be a kind of curtailing presence. There needs to be, you know, a society. There needs to be a, a game designer. Regulation, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that it is a kind of... To, to, to bestow it with this word feels like a, a too much of a sort of praise but it's quite it's balanced at least it tries to be balanced um, I don't think it either goes one way or the other yeah no I, I think that's fair I I do wonder though because there's so much of it that is I, I think reads as as kind of critical of hmm. uh, of that idea of excessive freedom but then it does you know, like you're saying, it does feel balanced, like, at the at the end of the game, you know, he... I don't know, mainly I kind of want to talk about what goes on at the end there, and how mm. how you guys kind of interpreted uh, the whole thing of him rejecting, you know, his his destiny and everything, his, his, uh, his mind control. 
Um, it's something that I've always <clears throat> resisted kind of thinking too much about because that sort of would you kindly twist moment just feels very um, heavy and a bit sort of dun 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 you know what I mean yep. a bit kind of schlocky and yeah. cheap and a bit yeah. kind of rubbish um, so it's one of the parts of the game that I, I'm sort of the least interested in and I, I think that the game would have worked better without that I think that to say oh well he was being mind controlled the whole time sort of drags the game down in like yeah. a few a, f- a few rungs from kind of interesting to kind of eh, it's a bit B movie now um, yeah a little heavy handed yeah and just a little bit um, kind of fan fiction-y and a bit sort of crap uh, so I yeah, I'm not a kind of fan of it in the sense of I don't like it as like a dramatic impulse in terms of what it says I don't know. I feel like the game kind of covers this conflict between should I or shouldn't I, you know, should I be excessively free or should I, you know, follow rules or should I find a balance? I think that those arguments are kind of handled elsewhere in the game and the the would you kindly reveal is, this is going to sound incredibly snobbish, but sort of there for people who didn't pick up on all that other stuff. I yeah, that's probably true. You know, I, it, it's like a kind of stamp well, that you doesn't need. Yeah, that's why I, mean, I think it's... it... Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Reed. No, I was going to say, that's that's why I think it's... Uh, that's why I think it does and did succeed so much. Um, that sounds snobbish, too. Uh, mm. I mean, as a big sort of, you know... turn your... rename this the Snobcast. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> the Snobcast. Uh, but I think that's part of... You, you see that in a lot of art that is trying, or entertainment that's trying to be commercial and mainstream, is that if you have implicit themes, you leave them below the surface for people to, to find, but then you also, at certain points in your plot, make them very explicit so that everyone can leave mm-hmm. having picked up on what you're you're trying to do. And I think that's very much what Bioshock is in the tradition of, of yeah. these sort of, like, like a, a Jaws. It's a, Michael, it's a Michael Bay video game, basically. Yeah, yeah, maybe a, maybe with a, a tinge more going on. I, it's like I think if if you can make people feel clever, they're gonna like what you've done. Yeah. Um, and I think that especially Bioshock Infinite, which is a whole kind of bog of poison fucking frogs. Um, <laughs> like I mean, I think especially that's a very pseudo and very hey we've read the preface of a few books about race and politics kind of game um, and Bioshock 1 is probably not much different uh, but maybe there's an argument for that like like you say because this was 2007 and you know I, I don't want to make a sort of cast a big wide general net but games perhaps more so even than now in 2007 weren't particularly kind of book smart right. and you know, I admire Bioshock for being one of the first, or at least like one of the first kind of big names to, to take that step. And I mean, like regarding the would you kindly moment specifically, let's be fair: a dismantling of objectivist philosophy doesn't necessarily make for exciting reading. Mm. It's not super climactic. So, I mean, in that sense, it was kind of necessary to give the game a beat two thirds of the way through. That was the oh shit moment if you will yeah well and you you look at what bioshock did in, in terms of you know uh as, as far as i know i don't i don't really go and look at 
sales numbers, but I know that I mean, I'm pretty sure it was pretty uh, commercially successful um, mm-hmm. and critically definitely kind of launched uh, made games criticism a lot more visible. You know, people. Yeah. It, it when games like Bioshock started to be made, I think that there was actually a reason to start. It gave people like us something to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Helped that, us fill our really Sunday true. mornings. Yeah. Um, but that kind of thing was was going on a little bit before, and I think what Bioshock was smart enough to do is I, I think it very much tried to pick up, I, I don't know, consciously or not, but Metal Gear Solid 2, which I think was like 2001, hmm. said much of the same stuff that, that Bioshock mm-hmm. was saying, and I think a lot more intelligently. But it was but also, also more long-windedly. Yeah, way, way more. You know, it had the it's translated from Japanese, which always gives you kind of a weird, weird way of figuring things out, and it's full of bizarre, you know, super bizarre storytelling stuff, and and so I think people ignored it a lot more easily than Bioshock came along, and that game is, you know, it's nothing if not very sure that it's important. You know? Yes. Yeah. So when you have that veneer, like you know, these Metal Gear Solid games usually are saying something, or attempting to say something interesting, um, but they're so they they're so irreverent that I think people mm. just go, oh well, the end of that game was just it made no sense. It was so crazy. But Bioshock, you know, comes along and it says, you know, this is big, dramatic, important stuff. Like, listen up. Mm. And I think mm. that's a huge, lasting influence that it did that. Um, I think that's absolutely right. I, I never thought about that before, actually. The fact that Metal Gear Solid 2 is largely about, you know, yeah, uh, susceptibility to received information, I guess, and will you keep following orders and blah, blah. Um, yeah, that never come, uh, occurred to me before. Um, I, have either of you two played System Shock 1 or 2? No, I haven't. I, no, I haven't either. I've played about 15 minutes of, of each of them. I mean right. to play System Shock 2. System Shock 1 was, I think, very difficult to understand. Right. And System Shock 2, I think, would probably be easier to get into. I've, I mean, I've heard that System Shock 2 does not age well. It's got this really, really annoying and sort of uh, unpalatable fixation with micromanagement. Oh, good. Um, yeah, but it's like it's that kind of way that I think people like to play and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You really got to concentrate, and you really got to read, and you really got to kind of make sure you get all your abilities and weapons, all all the numbers line up, and all this kind of stuff. It's like, uh, no. Yeah, that's, no. that sounds a bit tedious. It's just it's just unnecessary, as Bioshock proved, I think. Um, but to go back to that, and to go back to the the would you kindly moment, um, read. Do you think that... I'm trying to think of how to phrase this properly. Oh, just, um, just give it to me straight. Just give it to you straight. Uh, do you think that the Andrew Ryan character is a hero or a villain? <laughs> wow. <coughs> I think he's not a good person. Right. I think, uh, yeah, I think he's he's meant to be sort of a... He's a he's a bit of a, a cartoon villain, isn't he? Yeah, mm. I mean everyone in Bioshock is kind of a cartoon character, really. Yeah, which I think is part of the appeal. I, I think that's done sort of knowingly. Everyone kind mm. of has their position in an argument, you know. Yeah. And there's really not a lot of nuance. 
Um, but yeah, Ryan is, I think, supposed to very much... I don't know. It's See, it's strange to me, too, because I think the Bioshock games are extremely American games, and I'd be curious what what someone who is extremely American would have to say about a figure like Andrew Ryan, who I think is supposed to evoke these, you know, the giants of, of capitalism, like these uh, the magnates like Rockefeller and stuff, who uh, I mean, I could I could see people viewing him as a tragic character. Like he was just mm-hmm. he was too beautiful for this world. <laughs> his his vision was too pure. Yeah, just nobody understood his ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I I when I first played the game uh, at the tender age of eighteen, I certainly interpreted it that way. I was like, ah, you know, this guy tried something, and if everyone had kind of pulled together and obeyed, it it might have worked, and it would have been good. Um, But I I think in Andrew Ryan and Rapture, uh, in a sort of social sense, you find, uh, I think, a really important distinction and sort of criticism of Rand's work in that... um, Again, as referring to the shrugged, it's in that book. It's it's I think much more a personal philosophy, as I've said, than um, an outlying for how society and like government should function. I think that as soon as you apply objectivistic ideas and morals to politics and uh, social structures, then it becomes sort of untenable. Um, I think to that extent Rand was like a really really bad spokesperson for her own work because she at least in interviews seemed to give the impression that this stuff should be used to govern a country and that's just impossible it's just not right well I mean not to take this down that road but she emigrated from the Soviet Union which Mm. makes sense I was going to say I I mean the only like Ed and I talked about this before but the only Rand book I read, and it was sort of before, I think I was about 19 or something. I didn't know who she was, other than that she was a name that lots of people mm. talked about. But I read the one where she, you know, writes the fictionalized version of the, not a fictionalized version, it's the Russian Revolution. She's trying to deal with the fallout from it. And I think that was pretty crucial to who she was, you know. Mm. So I think... Mm probably when she came to America and started being feted as this, she was a great spokesperson for the free West, you know? Which is interesting because in, and going back to Bioshock, the, not the main villain, but the main sort of opposition to people like Ryan and Steinman is Tenenbaum, who is um, very socialist in how she's portrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't really remember much of Bioshock 2, but I believe that's the central conflict there as well. Uh, the, I recently replayed Bioshock 2 for <coughs> for other reasons, and the the sort of character that you're introduced to in the second Bioshock is called Sophia Lamb, and yes, yes, yes. her sort of overarching idea is that people are all psychologically kind of linked, that we all have like a common sort of empathy with one another, mm-hmm. and that uh, uh, using Adam. Uh, you could theoretically implant one person with the sort of genetic memories of everyone and therefore make them kind of physically empathetic towards everybody. Like they've literally got a piece of everyone hmm. running through their body and they Very become like. Ian. 
Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, so they become this kind of um, almost like Gaia kind of figure who's like responsible for everyone's well-being and feels everybody's pain. Um, so she is the, the sort of antithesis to, to Ryan, who, you know, is obviously about um, individualism, libertarianism. Um, but the second game, you know, it, it, it finds the holes in in her ideas also. Hmm. Um, I forgot what I was the kind of launching off no, I think, here. Uh, I think Patrick was talking about Tenenbaum. Socialism. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, I... I I don't know. I never kind of I never kind of got as much of a character of Tenenbaum as anything to call her like socialist. It's because I don't know. I didn't find her particularly well developed. Like a lot of the characters in the game, she kind of says like a few like show pieces about I don't know like the Nazis and about the sort of importance of saving the little sisters. I don't know. I really I never kind of got like a sort of firm sense of socialist opposition from Tenenbaum. Yeah, I didn't. I. The thing that sticks out in my head is there was something about she, I think, was in a was in a concentration camp in Germany, and she started to do research there or something. And she admired the 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 uh, moral freedom of the Nazis, even though she right. was, you know, obviously imprisoned by them. And that's right, okay. that's the all I remember, you know, from mm. her sort of politically. Um, I suppose the other <coughs> the other kind of third figure is Atlas who is uh, attempting to sort of rally Rapture's kind of common man together to overthrow Ryan, to overthrow this kind of objectivistic society, but turns out to be Frank Fontaine like a con man who's yeah, a, 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 essentially crime boss, basically. a crime boss, yeah, who's essentially doing this as a, as a score as like a dodge um I don't know, Patrick, do you think that there's anything worth discussing in that, the fact that the kind of working-class street-fighting man turns out to be deceitful? I mean, I, I want to say so. I also partially feel like that would be giving the game too much credit. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I think the fact that the character who is called Atlas... Um, in a game basically about Andrea's philosophy, turns out to be the ultimate sort of evil bad guy that you think he's helping you, and then it turns out he's the one you have to fight in the end. Yeah. Um, Reed. Yeah, I I think there is something to it. I actually didn't pick up on that as much the first time. I think it's a game too where it's pretty easy to miss things, and this is a big fault of it. Where if you miss certain audio tapes, you might not ever pick up yeah. on what it's trying to tell you mm -hmm. and there was one I got this time where it was Fontaine very much talking about how you know Ryan had the you know the money and, and whatnot, but he had the support of, of you know everyone in the fisheries and everything so there was I think something that I don't I don't I don't remember hearing before that made it a bit more explicit that he was supposed to be sort of uh, the crime boss he was representing the blue collar of rapture. Hmm. Um, I guess that that's <clears throat> one of the again one of the sort of fundamental downfalls of this uh, environmental storytelling is that a lot of the stuff is just going to get missed. Um, I it took me like a few playthroughs I think to kind of get a proper sense of quote unquote what was going on. Mm -hmm. 
do you think that uh, I think one of the, the main things that, that, that sticks out for me about Bioshock that, that's bad in a kind of visual sense in a kind of mechanical and enjoyment sense is that last boss fight with Fontaine yeah. uh, I think it's really really bad but do you think there's anything in a kind of thematic or like literate way to be said for him finally going all out and like injecting himself full of all that stuff and becoming this like seven eight foot muscly man is there anything interesting like thematically there Reed? Uh, I'll defer to Patrick for now. I'm thinking about that, but mm. my, my I mean, first I opinion is no. I think it's definitely worth mentioning the fact that the guy who was the quote everyman, because in you know Rapture, the currency of you know the primary currency is Adam, mm. um, and just like in the U.S., you've got people advocating for those lesser privileged who don't have as much money. In Rapture, the whole idea is those who don't have Adam are kind of on the short end of the stick. Um, and as an everyman, that's kind of your purview. But then for him to kind of go completely the other way and just embrace that mm. um, could be interpreted as just a complete inversion of his self-stated ideals. But at that point in the game, I don't really think that it's really all too relevant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I personally feel like Bioshock has kind of lost me uh, sometime before that final boss encounter. Yeah. Um, and I think that anything, uh, it, it just it seems like such a strange place to end the game, and yeah. like a really a really weird note to kind of go out on is this one-on-one -on -one battle with. Well, I, I I guess you could justify it and say like, is he the final emblem of accepting objectivist ideals, and are you battling at the end objectivism embodied, but. Again, that just feels so schlocky, and it feels like something that's dealt with in the Steinman fight at the beginning. Yeah. And it just makes for such a ludicrous spectacle. This like bald, naked bodybuilder, yeah. like diatribing about his like blah 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 my power. It just it becomes really impossible to take seriously as like a sort of work of literary criticism. I, think, I mean, I think it's another one of those places where the game needing to be a blockbuster game gets in the way of anything it might have been trying to say. Yeah, because we're just you're stuck speak. with. Yeah, we need this boss fight, basically. Yeah, yeah, and what Ed was saying too about this is one of the things that struck me going through the game again, and especially when you go through it, kind of knowing uh, the wider dramatic arts, like when the arcs, when the big story points are going to come up. That game tells itself in such a ramshackle way. Um, mm -hmm. There, there is no uh, sense of of dramatic pacing to anything beyond, you know, the the big plot twist thing and then everything that follows it. So, like what you're saying, by the time you get to uh, Atlas Fontaine at the end, you're just kind of, <laughs> I don't know. At that point, I'm I'm kind of done listening to the game mm. like you go mm. through that whole big daddy section where you see how they're made and everything and, and which is such an unnecessary bit of storytelling as well mm. yeah I, I that's such a uh, sort of yeah that's such a mistake that section um i think that uh you know you're, you're absolutely right um both of you that that it, it, it's it's a game that is kind of 
constantly struggling to balance these we need to have this spectacle moment in here with this is what we're trying to say in regards to someone's book mm-hmm. um, right. I, I think it's really struggling to juggle those two things even more than no, actually, no. No, that's ridiculous thing to say. I was going to say even more than Bioshock Infinite, but Bioshock Infinite is the ultimate example of being unable to juggle play and themes. Um, Which is a shame, because they are absolutely not mutually exclusive. No. Well, that, that, that kind of... I think that's a really interesting point. Like, do you think that... Just the kind of, like, microtransactions between you and Bioshock, the act of uh, using a plasmid shooting a gun uh, walking through a room do you think that there's anything about the way that they're designed and made and presented to you that reflects upon the game's themes like you're not the kind of big scripted moments not the kind of things that your kind of head is forcibly turned towards Mm -hmm. but just the sort of natural action of playing the game does that appeal at all do you think to the themes is there any kind of compact there between those two things I'm tempted to say not really the moment-to-moment mm. is kind of completely divorced from um, the sort of overarching message that they're trying to throw at you. At least I think it is. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I still stand by, to to an extent, the idea that you're always kind of scrounging and trying to make do and trying to collect money and everything is is ties into it somewhat, but whether that's just... I mean, granted, this... This this could just be my bias against the game's awful, awful writing and self justification. Um, well, which, yeah, I I think that any sort of relationship that you might interpret between the moment's moment play and the sort of game thematically feels more like an accident. And like, yeah. I mean, the author's dead, right? I mean, I've always sort of taken that approach. If the author is dead, and if you can play it and you think it and feel it. Then it's sort of it's it's valid at least insofar as it's worth yeah, writing it's, about, right? Right. Um, but I'm not convinced that somebody sort of sat down and said, "Okay, we're going to make a shooting game where you need to kind of resource manage and acquire items to progress." Oh, you know what would go really well with that is a story about the shortcomings and benefits of capitalism. Like I just I can't I don't think that they were developed sort of tandem. Um, I mean, I'd love to be proven wrong. Yeah, it, I think it more likely may be the, uh, you know, as, as much as I, I do see that in it, I I could definitely see that being an accident and sort of the, the flourishes around it, you know, like the Circus of Values. Whoa. Right. The Circus of Values mm-hmm. vending machines and stuff. The Sort of what they say to you, you know, audibly what they're saying, I think may be a little bit intentional, trying to mm-hmm. draw your help you draw a connection between those things but yeah I definitely see where you're coming from when you say that it's probably just a, a happy accident But I'd love to be wrong I'd love for someone who was involved in the game to listen to this and say no 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 it was from day one always going to be a shooting game and always going to be yeah. thematically what it is I'd love that like that would make it such a more kind of exceptional thing to talk about but I just I, I can't quite see it um, I guess uh, an interesting question to perhaps end on and, and maybe lead into a couple of further episodes um, would be do either of you off the top of your heads know of any games, shooting games where the moment to moment does play into uh, 
the sort of themes and the kind of overarching literature. Patrick, do you have anything in mind? You all know what I'm going to say. Yeah, I know. I have an idea. Um, I I mean, not to sound like a broken record, I'm just going to get out of the way now. I think that is literally what Far Cry 2 is about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why? uh, For the for the half or three quarters of that game that I've played that I've struggled through I, I agree with you I guess we will undoubtedly end up doing an episode on Far Cry 2 at some point um, but as a kind of hors d'oeuvre uh, what do you mean like how, how does it kind of match those things in a way that Bioshock doesn't well because Far Cry first of all doesn't have a super heavy handed narrative to throw at you um it actually kind of has an unnarrative. Um, it's not trying to force a particular perspective down your throat. Really, mm-hmm. all the game is about is you play a mercenary character sent to this shitty situation, and then the the narrative as it unfolds is just about whatever it is that you happen to end up doing with yourself while you're there. Um, and as that unfolds in ways that are, as anyone who's played the game knows, very frustrating and unfun and tedious, um... And the game itself, because of that, I think, could be interpreted as a commentary on the nature of, you know, foreign interventionalism and needless mercenary violence and kind of demystifying and de-glamorizing this notion of the hero soldier that we kind of hold in our games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a a lot going on in that game, I think, to... uh to talk about, we definitely have to uh, to get into that at some point. Yeah, because every I mean every every shooter game, or at least every military shooter game that you play, is sort of underpinned by this notion that guns and power and military might are freaking awesome, and it feels just super sweet to like snipe the head off of a dude or whatever. And then you play Far Cry Two, and it's just not that at all. There is nothing about that game that is glamorous. Um, from the like, from the fact that you end up, well, I mean, we'll get into it later. But the fact that you end up fighting people that you were previously working with, to the fact that you can die of malaria, like it's the game world is a nasty, nasty, nasty place, and you are not supposed to enjoy your time in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely think that's true. Yeah, um, I'm sure there are others too that, uh, if you're just saying shooting games, where the where the mechanics are directly reflecting on the theme. I'm sure there are others as well that we're not thinking of right now. Um, I'm racking my brains. I can't call it with... I mean, again, not to sound like a broken record, um, you've heard me evangelise Haze to a great extent, right. but yeah. I don't think it quite sort of reaches that sort of crest. Um, it's not quite that uh, completely. It's not sort of moment to moment speaking to the themes. It's not... It's not there. At times, um, though, it is. At times, mm-hmm. it certainly is. At times, it does it really, really well. And, um, uh, you know, it, it's such a shame that that game got sort of swept under the way that it did. But it's not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 think, I think a little bit generous to Hayes. Um, Kane and Lynch, especially the second one. Right. But, again, it's like... Kane and Lynch... Two especially kind of works because it's grubby and horrible to play, and it's a story about grubby and horrible people in a grubby and horrible situation, um, which is nice. And you know, there's a sort of poeticism to that. But in terms of 
you know, is it like informative or educational or sort of purporting to any sort of literary um, intent in the same way that you might argue Bioshock or Far Cry 2? I'm not quite sure. It's just kind of mucky for mucky's sake. Yeah, which I think is is valid. It's, as, yeah, as its own, it's okay. It's its own thing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into some of those games uh, later in the series. As to kind of close this episode, uh, I'll go first to Patrick. Have you got any closing remarks, a kind of conclusion paragraph about Bioshock? Um, I think that, like I said, there's kind of two games here. I think on one hand, Bioshock is interesting to look at because of some of the things that it um, played with and flirted with thematically. On the other hand, the mechanical design, the complete lack of physicality in any of the interactions, the obnoxious and ultimately consequences like binary moral choices that it throws at you regarding the little sisters, um, all of those things, I believe, work directly against this, its stated goal um, because they just make the game ridiculous in a lot of ways, which is a shame because I think that it is... As much as we've heard me talk about how I don't like it, I think it's very important in some significant ways too. Mm. Uh, read your repost. Yeah, I think I um, look a little bit more charitable than Patrick on this one, but I still I think it's a game that uh, is very interesting on sort of the wider scale as a whole. I think it's a very interesting game, and it does some things very very well. But it does an awful lot very poorly. I think the storytelling itself is pretty is pretty bad. But what it tries to do, and when it comes close to actually accomplishing what it tries to do, it's it's pretty impressive, and you can definitely see why uh, why people still care about it, and why it's had such a you know had such an impact. Why we we're talking about it on this podcast? Why we decided to make the first episode about goddamn Bioshock? I look at it as yeah, a kind of flag in the sand and sort of deserving of study, and I admire it for never quite straying into didactic and always trying to be balanced about something that is not only nece- not only difficult to be balanced on but also something that had never really been touched by games before, at least not specifically Ayn Rand. Um, so I admire it, like you like you say, Reed, for what it's trying to be. I, I resent the more ridiculous comic book, schlocky contrivances, which feel that they've been inserted with some reluctance and I am personally not much a fan, at least not nowadays in retrospect, of environmental storytelling. Uh, I feel like it's a contradiction in terms and they're fairly sloppily disciplined. Um, but yeah, I think, I, think we've, I think we've covered that one. Yeah, so pretty conclusively. 7 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, well, that's us for Bioshock. Next time, uh, we're going to be playing a game which was uh, suggested by Reed. Reed, what are we talking about on the next episode? We are going to play Deus Ex Human Revolution. Not the first Deus Ex, but the Human Revolution one. 
That's my favourite one, the one where the humans have the revolution. Yeah, right. is, yeah, yeah. Oh, Set during God. the French Revolution. I love that one. Yeah, so um, play along at home. I mean, if you, <laughs> if you want to, right? It's an interactive podcast. That's what we're here for. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and why, in, in, in brief, Reed, why are you enthused about Deus Ex Human Revolution? Uh, I remember that game being pretty cool when it came out like sort of feeling very much like it was a <laughs> this actually doesn't make it sound cool at all but like a 25 hour essay you know yeah. about about sort of uh, transhumanism and uh, our relationship to technology and, and class struggle and all that interesting stuff uh, I also all stuff that we love when we play video games that's yeah that's what I want man I want all that yeah. all that jazz but also because this, if we do too many first-person shooters in a row, then then this podcast will just become about first-person shooters instead of mm-hmm. just shooters as a broad broad term. So, Deus Ex seems that's like a good one for that. That's true, and also it is possible to play Human Revolution without using a gun. Uh, is more, it more or less? Yeah, yeah. You can uh, it is. Do it. it is once the now that they have the director's cut. Um, I think it is. Right. Okay. Um, so maybe that will come up. So if someone does play it all the way through without a gun, yeah, and sends us yeah. the video, then we'll ring the bell. And they won't. They also won't be allowed on this podcast because it's <laughs> off book. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we'll deny that they did it, and we'll discredit them, and just burn their name to the ground. Uh, well, on that bombshell, uh, <laughs> we will we'll leave our discussion of Bioshock. Um, Thank you very much for joining us. Um, my name is Edward Smith. I was joined by Reed McCarter. Yep. Yeah, yeah and Patrick me. Lindsay. That was me, yep. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next episode to discuss Deus Ex Human Revolution. Mm-hmm.